09. 32. 35. 49. 52. Megaball 02. With a mega plier. A $3 lottery ticket for a billion dollars last week. This is mine. Guess what? I wasn't into playing. I did not win. However, got me thinking. What would I have done with a billion dollars or wherever it would have been that you would have won? Oh, I had all kinds of philanthropic aspirations. I would give the money away here. I would uh, help this charity over there. You know, some of these old houses that we have around the city that are just dilapidated, I'd want to invest money there to build them back up again and bring them to their, their former glory. And of course, I'd have a nice travel fund so I could go anywhere I wanted to in the world. Sounds nice, doesn't it? But then I started thinking again, it's like, oh boy, I wouldn't want to win a billion dollars. Can you imagine not only the taxes, but people who would be looking for you, saying, oh, I need this from you, I need that from you, and what you'd have to do to kind of protect yourself and all that. And of course I'd continue working, but I would have another job, and that is conserving all of that money that I had won. And my conclusion was this, is that I think that if I would have won that lottery, it would have attached me to this world even more so than I am attached to it right now. And I bring all this up today because of the fact that the Scripture readings, especially the Gospel, is talking to us about the end, the ultimate end of our lives, which is heaven. And the Gospel is saying that in order to find ourselves and find our way to heaven, we cannot be attached to this world, attached to the things and, and the glittery stuff of this world. How did, how did Jesus put it? We'll, we'll read his, his actual words. He says, oh, here you go. Win your lottery and sell your belongings and give alms. Provide money bags for yourselves that do not wear out. What? What? What, what does that mean? Oh! an exhaustible treasure in heaven that neither thief can reach nor moth destroy. Whatever I had aspirations about in terms of winning the lottery, that thief could reach and the moth could destroy. For where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. Your treasure, our treasure, is to be in heaven. And the ways that we live our lives right now is to be conditioned on the fact that you and I want to reach our eternal home and eternity with God in heaven. But you know, that's going to call some, something out of us. It's not just an automatic lottery ticket that gets you into heaven, if you will. But rather, it is a way of life that we live. And we call that way of life being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus. And we'll never, ever, ever earn our way into heaven, ever. That's wrong. You don't do it that way. But what you do is to respond to Jesus, respond to his initiative that he takes in your life over and over and over and over again. Remember what Jesus said, that he has proposed to us that the way to the eternal life 
is the narrow way. And that narrow way means that we do not follow the world, we do not follow the teachings of the world, but rather we follow exclusively the teachings of Jesus Christ. Because he is Lord, because he is Savior, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so part of our discipleship is a lifelong thing where we endeavor to grow in what Jesus has taught and to imitate him and to follow him, that we become servants as opposed to people who are attached to ourselves in terms of what I want and all that, and attached to this world. We don't do that. Servants are not attached to themselves. They're not attached to the world, but rather they're attached to Jesus and respond and relate and interact in the world just as Jesus did. And disciples, too, are not only servants, but they also imitate their master in as much as possible. And one major, one chief way of several is that we do what Jesus said early on in the Scriptures. Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Oh, no fun. It's not cotton candy. But what that means is that like Christ sacrificed himself on the cross for us, we too will sacrifice ourselves so that we're not stuck, connected to the world, so that we're not stuck to our own egos, but that we're rather willing to sacrifice what it takes in order for us to be connected to Jesus. And a lot of that is what we call a lifelong conversion a lifelong surrendering of ourselves, a lifelong surrendering of our sins, if you will, to Jesus, so that we don't live by them, but they live that we live by Him. And that surrender, that conversion, which is really glorious, entails also a sacrifice, that we don't have all these options, but rather that we have to say no to things, in order to say yes to Christ and yes to the eternity that he is offering to each and every one of us. This is, at least in part, what it means for us to store treasure in heaven as opposed to being burdened and bonded to the treasure that we find here on earth, as good as it might be. We have to let it go and choose Christ instead. Okay, true message, but then we could ask ourselves, well, how is that all going to happen? And there are various practices that we can participate in the church and what the church offers to us to open us to Christ, to open us to that exclusivity of relationship with Christ, to open us to the saying yes to Christ as opposed to saying yes to ourselves and to the world. And this is not going to be new to you. It's not going to be rocket science, but rather it'll be probably a review or even better, a reaffirmation to you of what this is all about. And one of the chief ways that we participate in this way, this narrow way that Christ gives to us, that we participate in discipleship, that we say no to the world and yes to Christ, is through our, our individual prayer. Individual prayer is indispensable for a relationship with God. 
because he's calling us into a personal relationship with him. He's not a thing. He's not a book. He's not an object. He is a, a living being. And he calls us into relationship. And how we relate to him is personally through our prayer as well as communally, through the church, through what we're doing right now. We are called to be people of prayer. And we don't have to be monks or, or cloistered nuns who pray all day long. But to dedicate a part of our day, a little, a, a little part of our day, that is God's and God's alone, as we relate to him, we listen to him in our prayer, and as we listen to him in Scripture, because we read Scripture and can read Scripture in the prayers that we offer. There's also things called, well, fasting. Okay, you hear about that at Lent, right? But why do we fast? What's the big deal about fasting? Well, Jesus said, or God says, that fasting covers a multitude of sin. I think that's a pretty good thing, right, in and of itself. But what does fasting do? It takes me away from myself. And, and, and it orients me someplace else. I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Well, who feeds me when I'm, when I'm hungry? Well, yeah, we can go out and get something to eat after Mass tonight. But ultimately, who feeds my soul when I'm hungry? Is it the world? Is it culture? Or is it God? And when we fast, we come to that realization and deepen that realization that it is God who feeds us, who feeds our very souls, and this is the food that we ultimately desire. But sometimes that desire gets all messed up because of the fact that there's more attractive things, so we think, in the world today. Maybe if we tried fasting once a week, two little meals and one regular meal, that can open us, open us to God, to Jesus, and the conversion to which he calls us. How about this? How about this? The, an act of penance. Oh, no, what's it? Oh, no, no, not that. An act of penance. What is that? That we're going to do something that we maybe don't normally do or naturally do. For example, Deacon Dennis, would you like to go before me in the line at the grocery store? I've been waiting for 15 minutes, but why don't you go ahead of me? I would despise doing that. But you know what? That would be a good exercise for me. You go first, and I'll go second. That's called a penance. That's called a sacrifice not for my good, but for the good of another person. How about if we just maybe go out of our way and say, you know what, thank you for, for this, or thank you for what you did. Uh, I really noticed that you did this, or I really noticed that you said that, and I'm really appreciative of that, or I appreciate that you did that for another person. In other words, we're going outside of ourselves, we're going out of the way and performing an action that maybe sometimes we would not ordinarily do. Why? because life isn't about me, it's about you, it's about God. And by doing these penances, we, our lives are enlivened and our lives are widened in terms of God's way in our lives. And lastly, just suggestions here, just suggestions and offerings. Lastly, you know, we have lots of sacraments, seven in our church, but there are two that I want to just accentuate. One of the sacraments of conversion, a major sacrament of conversion, is going to confession. When you admit to another person, in this case the priest, your sinfulness, you are taking responsibility for your sinfulness. And you are admitting that you are wrong, that you are not perfect, that you've done things, that you've admitted things that, that you should have done. 
And this is very, on a psychological level, it's very good and very healthy for a person to be able to do that. Because, well, look at the culture. We live in a culture, basically, that wants to accuse everybody of doing wrong, and sometimes those accusations are correct. But then, you know, you've got two fingers pointing at the other person, and how many are pointing at you? Three. A majority of your fingers are pointing at you. And we don't take, or people don't tend to take responsibility for their own actions, but point it out to others. And that's something we don't want. We want to be responsible for our actions, for our sins, and for our omissions. Not to be completely devastated, not at all. But in order to receive the grace of forgiveness, restoration, and receive the grace that will help us to live better the life that we haven't been doing when we were sinning. The sacrament of penance. And lastly, the Eucharist. Now, we all talk about the Eucharist a lot, but the one thing that's very alarming about Catholics is that a majority of the Catholics seem not to believe in what the Eucharist actually is. We call it the real presence. That we'll, what will become present here in just a little bit is actually the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, under the form of bread and wine. It is Jesus. It's not a symbol. It's not something that points to him. It is Jesus Christ. Christ. And one of the things that the, the Eucharist calls us to is that if we have trouble with that belief, if we have trouble with that reality, if we have trouble with the real presence, that we spend time with Jesus and the real presence to get to know actually who he is. And we can do that here in the church anytime you come in here. He's going to be here. Spend time with him to know him. Because when we come forward to receive Jesus in the Most Holy Eucharist, it is Him who becomes a part of us. And that's the food that we want for our lives. That's the food that shows us the way to heaven. The way that God wants us to walk and wants us to be. And Jesus is that companion, that real companion present to us, present within us leads, guides, and makes us holy. God himself reaching out and being present to us. It's the next best thing to heaven because it is a slice of heaven. This is what these scriptures are saying to us this evening. They're calling us to treasure what is truly to be treasured in life and then to act upon that which we treasure. Don't store up things that will be corruptible and that you will leave behind after your death, but rather store up, receive, and take that which is of heaven to prepare you for eternal life, life forever, living face to face with God himself.